And I have to figure this out. So if I could have some figuring out music. I have all these chairs up here. I miss you. I miss you. I have to figure this out. I miss you. Sort of I enjoy that I didn't even I enjoy that I didn't even notice the microphone. All these chairs that's me. Poetry Night rings through. In 2008 or, or whatnot. Uh, that he was one of the kind of the original folks, so I'm kind of asking him about that a little. Uh, that he's a, that he is a well-rounded artist, right? You know, he uh, paints, um, you, you write, other than write poetry, you're a poet, um, something about fixing motorcycles or something, and you, you raise a family, that's an art in itself. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming up and, and gracing us with your words. So let's give him a great uh, Poetry Night welcome, Mr. Wesley Forden. Hey, thank you. Right. I said, be here to read poetry with you. Yeah, um, yeah there's a reason why um, I uh, follow Glenn Hergenharn in that book, because he and I were <clears throat> friends and been doing, about, doing this about that long. By the way, you say the word beautiful like Glenn Hergenharn, and if you read a Glenn Hergenharn poem, you have to say the word beautiful like he does. So that was very good. Yeah. Nice to he's back. Okay. Let's do some poems. As kids, we got separated from our ghosts at an early age. One minute we were at the table spilling cereal into our laps. The next, we were floating up through rooftops, helpless as soap bubbles. Eventually, we got back. Eventually, we learned how to take them out, to switch them on and off at will, standing in traffic, appearing and disappearing, the cars screaming into piles while our bodies lay silent in their beds, empty as suitcases, our parents saying shh to each other, and gently shutting the door. They would get separate, too, from themselves, from each other, from the people that they tried to become. Their bodies went on like clockwork in their illusions, watering grass and working decent jobs, but we knew better. It was a time of disappearances, of a universe expanding and expanding without end. 
of ice caps and our memories erased. A roadway extending toward a vanishing point on the horizon. Of a stranger with promises and out-of-state plates, a back seat that we climbed into when last seen. Of laughter remaining in our exit, with he behind the wheel cleaning his teeth with a rag we giggled into ourselves, barely there at all. Thank you. Suddenly find out I have very little water. I'm going to try to make it last. This next poem, um, I guess, is about belief. And specifically, belief in things regardless of whether or not they're actually true. Belief that... Suppose decides the kind of person that you are and the way that you'll go through life, which perhaps that's what belief is all about anyway. This is called protection. Little doll heads arranged on sticks, placed in various scenes, taking tea, engaged in conversation, standing in the grass, admiring the sunlight. Olivia arranges them in the unique geometric designs of their happiness. Where are all the bodies, Olivia? People always ask Olivia, where are the bodies? Everybody's out, she replies. The bodies are out to lunch. They are all out on business. They are in the bedroom with a friend not to be disturbed. They are working at state jobs, punching buttons and holding telephones, neither listening nor speaking. They are sitting in traffic, honking their automobiles. They are busy running the country and the financial markets. They are signing divorce papers and struggling over property. The heads remain with her. Olivia doesn't know where the soul is kept either, whether in the eyes or in the mouth or somewhere in the abdomen. But she will tend to them anyway, believing in what may be so. What watchful thing may stand invisible on a pillar above her garden that guards her with jaws and muscles and hard eyes like a lion? I do not know, but I will go on believing with my head staked perfectly in the half shade to see that it is there. Thank you. <laughs> Have you ever watched an animal watch something else and seen it focused and attentive and you wondered what the hell it's thinking about? What it's like to be another creature with thoughts? That's where this next poem comes from. It's called Sunny Morning Imaginative Dog. The wasps and the spiders and the cats are up. The garbage men are full of coffee and cuss their trucks up the side streets where the flies fight and the beetles come out to work their feelers and see if the night left anything good. It's early yet. A dog, splayed out on warm gravel, watches a rabbit rummage through the weeds along a fence. 
Notice his eye as it follows him through his nibblings. See his thoughts as they ruffle his rug-like brow. He thinks about barking, hackles, at attention. He thinks about rising up in a scowl of dust. He thinks about eating the rabbit for a snack. He thinks about wearing the rabbit for a hat. The legs stretched out to a four-point chin strap that could secure it to his head while he ran, the limp ears flopping up and down like little hands waiting for help. Maybe he could use it to sneak up on other rabbits. He imagines himself thus disguised, crouched in a field among a family of fuzzy grazers so close he can hear them chew. How could you ever know this? Are we so cemented as to believe that we are the only creatures who dream? Regard him in his moment, every inch of him electrified. Cautious will you approach him, a prodigy in the throes of his first invention. Will you discover him? A rising light, the greatest mind of his generation. Write a book based on his musings or maybe the script to a humorous play. No, your backhand raises, his head lowers, tail folded into the cleft of his legs like a jackknife. Our common language. Thank you very much. Um, this next poem is called Cruising at a Speed Equal to Bumblebees. <clears throat> at seven knots, my bicycle becomes a harp. Or maybe a cricket. Yeah, a cricket. In any case, a thin instrument singing. I'm 13 years old, and out of my wheels and sprockets, I'm spinning a long thread of dripped sweat and puffed breath that will eventually become a small white cloud rafting over the Pacific Ocean. To my immediate right flies a bumblebee, matching pace, looking at me. I feel the slight prick of surprise that, as an adult, I would feel believing myself alone while pretending to be an airplane. I stare back. It's all over the air. It can't keep its straight wings fibrillating like a heart attack. Bumblebees, well, you know, are like that. But in the face, small and sturdy, I notice the chin up, the stiff lip, the, the pious determination that we all respect in the bee. Between us, I notice, if only for that stilled moment that we eye each other, as the world goes blurry, a held note, the shared chord that I'm told exists in all things, if only for a moment. We fly our separate ways after that. That was 30 years ago. I haven't seen the bee since. Maybe it will take another 30 before we meet again.
We will both be very old men by then. Too old for anything faster than a trike or a walker or a knobby stick. He won't be able to buzz very far without a nap. We won't remember much. Not each other. Not even the reasons why we travel. We will only notice, as perhaps we once did, the trajectory that we follow. The incredible speed at which we live. And, perhaps, like all things that don't last, the stilled pitch of a shared note, the held chord of an instrument to an instrument, singing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, these next um, four poems are um, a series of uh, poems that I, uh, you would call them vignettes. And vignettes, if you're not familiar with the term, uh, is uh, poems that just don't go very far. Um, they start off and then they kind of fizzle out pretty quickly. But instead of feeling bad about it and saying that they are just like the runt of the litter, we gave them a special name. We gave them this nice French name. It sounds really fancy and good, so it sounds like you meant to do that, and you didn't. it's not like you just kind of ran out of words. So <clears throat> these are vignettes, short poems. Um, they don't have their own title. They kind of fell under the same title, um, which I guess that means I'm just not very, very prolific with titles, but it also maybe it's... Anyway... Um, They'd go just long enough to upset you a little bit, and then they're done. <laughs> I heard that now that the um, <clears throat> polar sea is melting, that um, it opens the door and to uh, 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 sea traffic and also um, new frontiers for oil exploration. It's kind of how this poem is. <clears throat> A horse stands in flames on the street of a city in flames, eating a loaf of burning hay. The sky is black. The driver sits on his burning carriage, drinking a cup of coffee. Sparks pour out of the horse's mouth as he chews, chews, and chews. Elsewhere, people are going about their business. A man on fire sits down to a plate of ash and reads his burning newspaper. A woman rocks her flaming child and sings him a song to sleep. Lovers kiss their flames goodnight on burning steps to apartment doors. The number seven bus arrives in flames and people check their watches and snap their telephones shut. Otherwise, it's summer. The birds sing like ice water. Everybody's so thirsty, you can hear the burning ice cream truck tottering up the street, its music box blaring bright, the driver sweating, full of avarice and hope. This next is a bar poem about the kinds of judgments we make in bars. The room has no forgiveness, but will let you forget most anything you want. Jukebox and bad light, 13 flavors of silky beer, each bubble in the glass, a tiny eraser. A woman spills words down the breast of your shirt, 
and you scoop them up and arrange them like so. In moments, she is the erect Picasso that you would sculpt from the furniture, anything in reach. In moments, she utters the sentences that you have fished for, patient as a heron all these hours. Any one of them could be the poem that breaks your will or wipes your mind out, squeaky as a cup. 2 a.m. This is the hour of naivety. This is everybody's favorite part. The whole world is flat again and tips from side to side. And you two, like billiard balls spinning inalterably toward a dark pocket. Thank you. This next little upsetting thing is <clears throat> that little book right over there. The dead are everywhere. But this is nothing new. The dead are always lying around, loafing, doing nothing of use, dissecting us all in our private moments and thinking they all know better. Fate, they whisper, is in every little thing you touch. From this tied shoe to this masticated pen to the sideways glance that inches down lovingly the grocery woman's exotic blue blouse. Which is why they do so little. They see all of life and all the future like a stern game of Texas Hold'em. Cash on the <clears throat> crisp cards, cash on the table, pistols underneath it. Poker faces. Feel them over your shoulder. Lift your eyebrows and you hear them sigh, discard, and they hiss in despair. And this is called The Future is Mostly Nostalgic. We arrived at long last to the finest days of our lives. Good food and comfort, vaca vacations to order, our labors, a thing of the past. We now have time between health walks and upholstery choices to dwell on all the lesser sadnesses. Like gravity and flesh, the day we stopped kissing, the suffering of people in books, the bird hitting the window of the greenhouse while you were singing. Later, I'll drop ice into this good whiskey and feel bad about Hank Williams with my shoes off next to the player while hearing you in the kitchen, <clears throat> in your slippers, shuffling around the kitchen where your tears sound like chocolate chip cookies, sniffed off the pan by a fine steel tool and then set down gently on a wire rack to cool. Thank you very much. I thought if I wasn't going to 
read these from a book, I would at least have a list to remember what poems to read. So that's what this is. This is so I don't forget what poems to, uh, otherwise, you know, you get everything scrambled around and spend a lot. Of, you know, this was um, very helpful. <clears throat> this is a, um, a poem about Everett, specifically um, about Broadway Avenue on Everett. It's my Everett poem. And I, um, I work on Broadway and Everett. I love Broadway. Um, <clears throat> Broadway is um, a place where I, you can see humans in the wild. <clears throat> Broadway is bookended by two uh, mental health services. Um, and uh, lots of people who live close to the edge. Lots of people who are going elsewhere. Anyway, um, to uh, not to spare you the too much details, but I have an affinity for it. Um, well, to spare more introduction, here it goes. This doesn't have a title. It went under the title heading of uh, um, Histories and Metamorphoses, which I've named other poems by, which just means I'm lazy about titles. I could just cram all the other poems into the same title. Anyway. At the bus stop on Broadway Avenue, a man with bags and thick glasses whistles for his imaginary dog who never comes, who never responds, who lopes off down an alleyway to, between, <clears throat> excuse me, who lopes off down an alleyway to stuff his nose between a clump of weeds, then disappears between the trash cans behind the Vietnamese noodle joint. He calls, calls, slaps his leg, invariably misses his bus. The woman sitting on the bus stop bench, her hands clasped together as if to keep herself from falling, understands. She lost her invisible friend three weeks ago to another woman, of all things. It is the loneliest day on record. Cloudy, 54 degrees, chance of rain. Down this way, where the train tracks don't go anymore, you can still make out the brick and wood outline where the depot once stood. This used to be a wayside stop for settlers and fortune seekers, men bound for the north. They showed up here in their wooden shoes, their woolen coats and their antique languages, their bags and their imaginations full of things that they could chase and never run down. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Comfortable? Okay. All right. Well, I just got a couple more poems, and then we can all take a break. Stop listening. Stop. If you don't mind, is there enough time for? I'm good. Everybody good? Okay? Everybody's good. Everybody's not uncomfortable, or stuff. The chairs are okay. Okay. All right. I thought I'd ask. So thank you. Um, Okay, we'll just do two more poems, and then we'll be done. This is called um, a Woman from the House of Money, and all my poems are true. Honest. <laughs> Ask him. <clears throat> Ask him. Yeah. On this street lives a woman who sells roses to tourists at the bakery and the bar. She does well and comes home early. She passes out the ones and the fives to her pets, she presses the coins into her table, the chairs, the floorboards, the dresser, and she sleeps in a hammock. 
Nobody believes me. But I saw this as a paperboy one day collecting the bill. She pried out the change from a silvery door with a pocket knife. And nobody believes me the one time that I saw her, apron deep in this tired old river, this quiet river that nobody sees anymore, calling the salmon to her thigh. She opened the littered water with her hands, as if parting her kitchen shutters, and the tune she carried. Nothing you would know, a kind of whistle ribboned around the words and not quite repeated. Maybe you think the day ends and begins in the same one discernible language. Maybe the spookum your parents told you in your young years comes from their loneliness. But I'll tell you, I blinked once, twice, and there they were, flashing like razors all crowded around her heavy brown legs and snapping like hungry chicks. Thank you. So it's a good thing that this is the last poem because I'm out of water. And it's going to get bad after that. This is... Um, I, I, didn't, I don't have any books of my own, but um, this, uh, this last poem comes from uh, this lovely anthology, which is really great. I love reading this. It has a lot of good work in it, and so I can plug something that's not just my, my own. But anyway, like, yeah, nice job, guys. It's great to be a part of it. Uh, this is an older poem. This is probably actually the oldest poem that I've written, read for you today, tonight. Um, it's called 21 Flavors. It's a good day here, where we loaf down the hours into midday, afternoon, and evening. A good day to kiss the dog and, and talk of things that matter to little or nothing. The rent's paid, the week's work done, the baby nursed and filled with sleep. There is time to let the mail pile up, time for the dirt on the floor, time for the apples and the bananas growing old, and time for the weeds to sprout and sneak up silent around the door. The house yawns and stretches on its timbers. The kitchen sink sings of spoons and dirty dishes, and the ice cream truck comes calling, calling, calling us out with nursery rhymes for sugar and 21 flavors, calling us out to the middle of the street where we gather with the eagerness of spring bees circling a broken plum. It's a good day. We have ice cream. We have bread. We have beer and spaghetti and salad for dinner. And we are not sorry. We are not looking for the clear soul the day has not yet given us. We are only looking for the shade's blessing. Two comfortable chairs. A stupid joke at the end of a fudge-sickle stick, which we laugh about anyway when our tongues are slick and cold as sleeping trout, and we want nothing more than a good slow tune on the radio. When we speak, it is the sound of a faucet dripping, a car passing by, the birds frittering away their song, Nothing more. And between the drowsing spaces of the things that we leave unsaid, it is 
clear to us. It is very clear. No one will remember us. For this day or the next, no one will remember all the work of hours spent burning at desks, burning behind steering wheels, burning into dirt and metal and money and wood and books and national holidays and love. No one will remember us. After we have counted all the sparrows on the wires one by one, made bets on which would fly, after we have kissed our children, grown tired in our bodies, and resigned ourselves to sleep with all the time that we let ease by us for no other reason than that it was good, yes, good, to let it go. Thank you for listening tonight. Mr. Wesley Fullerton, let's keep it going. Give him a hand.